Are you ready? Welcome to another episode of the Around the CFL podcast. Anthony, back with you here once again. And the Montreal Alouettes are your 110th Grey Cup champions. The Owls took down the Winnipeg Blue Bombers 28-24 in a crazy exciting game, which saw our friend of the podcast, Tyson Philpock, at the game-winning touchdown with just a couple seconds left to seal the deal. Also winning most valuable Canadian, while Cody Pajardo went from the undesirable to the undeniable going Grey Cup MVP. We will be right back, and we are joined today by Vice President of Business Operations of the Calgary Stampeders, Jay McNeil. We are joined today by a 14-year CFL vet. He was an offensive lineman for the Calgary Stampeders. He's a two-time Grey Cup champion, four-time West Division All-Star, five-time CFL All-Star. And as of September of 2022, he was hired as the Vice President of Business Operations for the Calgary Stampeders. Jay McNeil, welcome. Well, thank you very much for having me. Thanks for being here. So you're originally from London, Ontario, right? And you're able to play Division I football in the NCAA at Kent State. A lot of kids dream of that. How did that happen for you? Yeah, uh, you know, it's funny is I, I started high school in Ontario, uh, started uh, in grade nine. And when I was there, I went to grade 13. Uh, but I went uh, grade nine, football coach found me. I was bigger than everybody else. I was bigger just about the whole school and said, you got to come and play football. And I and I was, yeah, you know, I would love to play football. It's, it, you know, that was a dream of mine. Uh, and after two weeks, I quit and it was too much work. We had to practice every day. And, and uh, so, you know, my football career was over before it even started. And so, so it's kind of funny because, um, you know, as that year went on, and I guess up to that point in my life, I had quit playing basketball. I had quit playing uh, hockey, you know, took karate, baseball, you know, soccer, quit it all. I never really thought too much about it. Uh, but as that season went on and I, you know, would watch the games with my friends, I, you know, i actually felt quite disappointed in myself. And so I, I made up my mind that the next year I was going to, uh, you know, no matter what I was going to make the team and, and I did. And so I was fortunate, um, and I had a pretty decent, uh, uh, high school career. Um, at the end of it, I was named the defensive player of the year for the, for our city. And it's funny as I didn't play offensive line. I played defensive line in high school, uh, before I went to university, though, I decided, you know, I'm going to play a year of junior football for the London Beefeaters. And and so I went to training camp with the Beefeaters and um, you know, went into training camp. And there, there was probably like 12 or 13 defensive linemen. And there was only like four offensive linemen. Uh, and so I saw the opportunity to, you know, not only make the team, but to, you know, to start potentially if I had switched positions. So I have quickly volunteered to play offensive line. Uh, and then I ended up having a great year and I was recruited by you know, a number of different schools and Kent being one of them. And I had a friend that actually went uh, to Kent and was playing football there. And so it was just, it was a natural fit. I went down for my visit and they treated me really well, offered me a scholarship on, on the first day that I was there. Uh, and I committed right there and then I knew it was a place I wanted to be. And, 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 you know, a year later I was at my first training camp. So it was pretty awesome. Do you see a lot of uh, division one, division two NCAA schools coming up to Canada more frequently to start scouting and recruiting? 
Yes, absolutely. It's, you know, I think right now, and I don't know the stat for sure, but I think there's over 200 Canadian kids in Division One U.S. colleges. So we're pretty amazing, right? And, and when I was in the 80s, when I was uh, going to university, it was, you know, there was a lot less than that. So mm-hmm. it's certainly more prevalent. Uh, you're seeing it a lot, uh, you know, with the transfer portal and and you see players, you know, going from a smaller Division One school to a bigger Division One school. And, that, and then those schools subsequently have to find other other players. And, and so they, you know, quite often they're looking into Canada right now. And unfortunately, looking at U Sports, so we're seeing a lot of guys leaving U Sports to go to to uh to go to 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 division one u.s college but you know that i don't blame them on that too because that's a pretty cool opportunity right so how did you end up in the cfl then from kent state yeah so um you know i played uh i i played up until my junior year uh and i I ended up graduating after my junior year so i still had another year of football eligibility um, but I was drafted by the stamps that year. So, which was kind of funny. Um, you know, I had an agent at the time and he, you know, he was quite familiar with CFL. And so he, you know, he kind of go, heading into the draft, he had said, uh, he goes, you know, I don't think Calgary will choose you that, you know, they've got a pretty young offensive line. They've got a lot of guys, so probably don't count on them. And we, you know, we were kind of strategizing on who, where I think I might get drafted, uh, you know, and so the funny thing about it is I got a call from uh, Wally Buono in 1994, I think it was in April, to say they had selected me in the fourth round of the draft. And, and, and I'm not going to lie, I was a little bit disappointed because uh, I thought, well, you know, am I going to be able to make this team? You know, I, I maybe I'd rather go to a team where there's a bigger opportunity there. Turned out best thing that ever happened to me. Uh, and I'm incredibly lucky. So. It was. And, you know, it's it was incredibly rare then as it is now to play your entire 14 year career in one place. And how was it playing on that offensive line for 14 years in Calgary? Oh, it was, uh, you know, it, just, you know, it's, I don't want to I use a lot of cliches, but, you know, not <laughs> to use a cliche, I guess uh, it was a dream come true. Really like, uh, you know, I recognized early on. Uh, that, you know, number one, you know, the Calgary Stampeders were a team that I wanted to be a part of. You know, we had, when I came, we had Doug Flutie uh, was our quarterback, Jeff Garcia. Uh, and and then you had guys, you know, like Rocco Romano, uh, Bruce Coverton, Jamie Crisdale, you know, some guys that just, you know, were legends uh, in the CFL and, and such great guys. And so I wanted to be a part of that team. And then it quickly didn't take me long to realize that this was a city that I, I loved and I wanted to, I wanted to be a part of it. So, you know, it was as my career progressed, uh, you know, I certainly had opportunities to go to other teams, uh, but I, I knew of Calgary was where I wanted to stay. And, and so, you know, I chose to, to be here every time. Uh, and it was, you know, as funny as I didn't, I never once went to free agency in my 14 year career uh, because, you know, with Wally was great at, you know, um, locking guys up before they went to free agency. And then after that, even through some pretty tough times, I, I didn't really consider it very often. I knew that this was home. This was now home and this is where I wanted to be. And there was an opportunity to make a life here after post football. Uh, and, and it was, so I feel incredibly lucky. Um, this is a, an organization in a city that I love. And, and so to be here for so long, which is kind of funny when you mentioned 14 years, and I never would have thought, you know, I remember my first training camp looking up at the, at the uh, wall of fame and seeing, you know, guys that, you know, played long careers and, I remember thinking if I could play 10 years, I would, uh, I would, I would be thrilled. That would be a dream come true. And, you know, next thing you know, 14 years. And and then I found out 
after I retired that I have the, the third most games played in Stampede or history, which blew my mind, right? And you think of some of the greats that have played here for a long time. Uh, and the only two guys ahead of me were kickers. So uh, <laughs> that was, I, I'm pretty proud of that stat. That Of all the things that you, I could talk about, that's one that I feel uh, quite proud of. So, you know, you made the 14 years. How did you know that you were ready to hang it up in 2007? Yeah, which is a good question. You know, certainly I think uh, physically I was capable of playing another year. Um, but it was more of a mental thing at that point. It was, I, I remember, um, you know, we had a home game against Hamilton that year. And then we went on a back-to-back road trip and we played uh, Saskatchewan and Toronto back-to-back. And we ended we, we beat Hamilton in game one. And then we lost to uh, Saskatchewan and uh, Toronto. And um, after that second game, we had a bye week. And so I stayed, I, you know, growing up in London, I, I stayed for the week uh, with my family. Uh, and I just remember thinking, I don't know if I can, we've got 15 more weeks of this. I don't know if I can do this. Um, and, and, but I, I wasn't going to make up my mind. I thought I would wait till the end of the year, see how I felt. Um, and what it, that didn't go away. And, you know, that feeling of, oh, you know, I, we've got another 15 weeks. So we've got another 14 weeks. How am I going to make it through? And then halfway through the season, you know, Tom Higgins was our head coach. And I went in to see him and I just said, you know, Tom, I just mentally, I just don't have it in me to, you know, to do another off season of training to, you know, to do another season. And, and so I, uh, I, you know, I told him I was going to retire at the end of the year, you know, in hindsight, but that was one of the best things, decisions I've ever made in terms of timing. Um, because something changed in my in my mindset at that point, and I realized, you know, hey, I've only got, you know, six games left, and and I enjoyed every single day after that. Even the grind of practice that I, you know, when you're 37 years old and playing offensive line, it's hard to get up for practice. And from that point on, I I enjoyed every single practice. I enjoyed being in the locker room and and traveling on the game. It was it was a great experience those last you know, those last six or seven weeks of the season. So yeah, it kind of, it kind of just happened. So it's kind of funny. Did you ever have, I, I want to keep going down this path a little bit here. Yeah, did you, yeah. did you, did you ever have that issue? Because you see some retired players now, like, you know, Derek Dennis retired at the beginning of the year. And, you know, he recently said on X that used to be Twitter that some guys have a hard time once they're done with the game or the game's done with them. Did you yep. have a hard time after that? So the season's done. Grey Cup's done. You you hang them up. Did you ever have a hard time? Like, well, did I make the right decision? Should I let go? Yeah. Um, so I, I never questioned my decision to retire. I, I knew that that was the right time for me. Um, but, you know, and, and hindsight's 2020. Um, but thinking back, going through it, I don't know that I would say that I had a, had a hard time. Looking back on it now, for sure I did. Um, and it was, you know, I, I went, to, I was very fortunate. The team honored me at halftime of the, of the home opener, uh, for the following season, the 2008 season. Uh, and I went and went to the game and I mean, I got to ride around the car at halftime and wave to the crowd. It was, it was really such a great honor, you know, for them to do that. I felt very fortunate. Um, I didn't go to another game that year and it was, it was just too hard, to, you know, to see my teammates, my friends, uh, out there without me. And, and I really struggled with that, to be honest with you. And, um, you know, the other thing is, you know, football is, it's a business. And when you decide that it's over or they decide it's over, you know, you're, you're in, 
you're welcome as an alumni, but there's really not a home for you there anymore. And you felt you were such a big part of it for so long. And then all of a sudden, you know, they didn't need you anymore. And that's a hard one to take. Um, so I absolutely struggled with it. Uh, you know, I think going through it, I would have said I was fine. Uh, but looking back on it now, yeah, it was a lot tougher than I had anticipated. And what I was really lucky because I chose to go when I wanted to go. You know, and for a lot of guys, they don't get to make that choice. And, and sometimes I forget that and think everybody had the same experience I did. But, you know, so a lot of people really do have a hard time when it's, especially when it's not their choice. Yeah. Like, you know, I mentioned Derek Dennis, former Stampeder, but then mm -hmm. there's guys like Charleston Hughes who weren't ready to go yet, but I guess, you know, the game was done with them. Um, you know, speaking of big games that you've played in, we just passed the Grey Cup. So Montreal just won the Grey Cup. You played in four and you won yep. two. What's it like? on both sides you know you win the gray cup but then on the other side you didn't you know how does yeah. how is that for a player you know it's so so, so I'll, let me start with the win the wins because those are always fun to talk about but um so when i came to the team in 94 uh the uh the team had you know it was two years removed from the 92 gray cup and so there were a lot of the, the players that were still around you know they wore their gray cup rings they told all the stories and and so i had incredibly high expectations about how good it would be uh, to win a great cup. Uh, you know, and then, you know, in 94, we lost in the Western final In 95, we lost in the great cup. And I'll come back to that one, you know, 96 <laughs> lost in the Western final again, 97, we lost in the semifinal. We come to 98 um, and we finally pull it off. And, you know, it was a dramatic win last second field goal, Mark McLaughlin, you know, we had to drive down uh, after, after Hamilton scored with about a little over a minute left. Uh, like I said, last second field goal. Uh, and it was, like I said, I had incredibly high expectations of what it would be like. And this was a hundred times better than I'd ever imagined that it would be uh, a joke. You know, I've never seen a full room, 50 men, grown men crying uh, together because everybody was so happy. And so it, you know, there was a sense of relief because we finally, uh, you know, got the monkey off our back. But it was, it was the the best feeling in the world, you know. And yet, people talk about, you know, you get your name on the cup with with those guys, and they can never take that away from you, right? You've you've made you've got a place in history together as a group, and and that is the coolest feeling in the world. Now, fast forward to two thousand and one. Uh, much different. You know, we we were finished the season eight and 10. We struggled through the year. We had to win our last game against Winnipeg in Winnipeg, who were 14 and three at the time. Uh, we had to guarantee ourselves a spot in the playoffs and, and we ended up winning it. Then we beat BC in the Western final, went up to Edmonton, beat them in the Western final and faced Winnipeg again. And, and we ended up winning that game. Um, and it was a very different journey. And it was just as satisfying as that first one because of what we went through as a team and how we had to fight for everything and, and the, how we came together as a team. So unbelievable, two unbelievable experiences. Uh, and they, you know, they leave you wanting it more. You you want to do it again. Like it's, it's you know, you don't feel satisfied, you know, with one. It's uh, anyways. So now going to the losses, you know, <laughs> 95 was a little different. You know, I was my second year. Um, I was the backup offensive lineman. And and so not that I wasn't invested because I was incre incredibly invested, but I was just like, you know, hey, we, we were, the team was there in 92. We were 15 and three. You know, we're I'm going to get to the Grey Cup every year or every other year. This is going to be easy. Um, and, and we ended up losing. And, and it was devastating. 
but I don't think I really realized how hard it would be to get back. So I just assumed, you know, then in 96, we were ready to go back and, and, and win it. Um, um, so, but then, you know, we win in 98, then 99, we played Hamilton again in BC. And I remember sitting on the bench after we lost and watching them celebrate. And I, you know, and I had tears and, and it was, it's a devastating, lonely, hopeless feeling, uh, you know, to be so close even in a nine, eight, at that time, I think it was eight teams, but even in an eight or nine team league, it's a hard thing to do. Uh, and uh, so, you know, when you realize how hard it is and you may not get another chance to do this, it's uh, it, it, it takes a while to get over that. You know, and you talk, I, you know, it's funny as I talk with Wade Miller, president of the, uh, of the bombers. And we, and we still talk about, he still talks about that loss to us uh, in 2001. So like it's, it really is hard to get over. So um, not fun when you lose. <laughs> well, you know what? It's time to talk about some fun stuff. Jump yeah. ahead. 2022. You are now the vice president of business operations. What exactly does that role entail? Yeah. So, you know, so how we divide up our, our organization, we have football operations and we have business operations. So the football operations is everything on the field, coaches, players, trainers, uh, our, our equipment staff, Everybody that helps, you know, put the game together and then the business operations is everything else. So whether it's ticket sales, marketing, food and beverage, uh, retail, game presentation and all those sorts of things. So, um, yeah, yeah. So anyways, yeah, there, here we are a year, a year into it. Uh, and it was, you know, from my while well, playing for the Stampeders was a dream come true. My post football, my post post playing days uh, you know, in my working career, my real life is what I call it. <laughs> we get to real life. Um, this is actually another dream come true. So pretty cool. Was this type of role something that you were always interested in doing? You know, it's funny is I've been asked that question a lot and I, not once did I ever think that this was some where I would end up. I, you know, I, had, I, while I was playing, I worked in oil and gas, um, and continued that in that, in my career in oil and gas right up until last October. And so, um, you know, and it was kind of a, it was a random conversation that led to, you know, sort of what's next for the Stampeders and, and, you know, is there an opportunity? We we're both kind of like, is there an opportunity here? You know, and we talked about it. And then, you know, two weeks later, I had a job offer. So kind of came out of the blue, happened fast. And I feel like the luckiest guy on earth for it. I have those similar conversations with Brendan Mahoney almost monthly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So what were your thoughts going into day one? Yeah. Well, I, I can tell you the first one is, and I actually took a picture. I was walking up the stairs and, you know, we've got the, you know, the horse logo up on the wall. I took a picture of it and I sent it to my wife and my kid. And I said, I can't believe I get to go to work here. So pretty awesome. Um, you know, and, and so I've been fortunate. I was vice president of the Players Association for eight years after I retired. So I, I've been involved in the business of, you know, of the CFL. Um, so, you know, I, I thought I, I think, and I thought I had a pretty good understanding, um, of, of what to expect, but the reality is I had no idea. Uh, <laughs> and there's just the complexity and the layers to this business, um, and everything fits together, but it's very different. And it's, you know, you make a decision here it impacts something over here and you really have to weigh all that out. So, uh, it's been a, I feel like I've been drinking from a fire hose for a year. Uh, and trying to learn and, and 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 grasp as much as I can. I know there's a lot more to go, but it's been a, it's been a great year. It's been challenging and it's been stressful and it's been the best year of my working career. 
So it's funny that you mentioned stressful. Everybody has a mentor. They have that one person, you know, they lean on that they call when they're having a rough time. Who is the one that you go to when you're like, Oh God, I still know what's going on. Yeah. You know, one of the guys that was a mentor for me as a player uh, early on. And, and I, when I talk about a mentor, he, uh, you know, he was a veteran player and I remember, you know, as a rookie on the practice roster on and off the practice roster. And I would, you know, stop at Wendy's and buy you know lunch coming into practice. And he would, he would get on me for wasting my money buying fast food. He's, you should pack a lunch and you should, anyways, it was Stu Laird. Mm. Right. So a guy that had been around the league, been around the Stampeders for a long time. Uh, and I can, and I can still picture those conversations. We had lockers that were close by, uh, and you know, despite, and I always make fun of him for this, but despite him being 10 years older than me, he's an old man. Uh, <laughs> and I say that in jest, but um, we we became really good friends and we're, and we're still really good friends today. And he was somebody that I could turn to. He's been through the football game. Uh, he understands the CFL. You know, he was president of the Players Association when I was, uh, you know, coming through as a player rep and then as the vice president. Um, and so, and somebody I trust and respect. And so, you know, he's still a guy that I, you know, when I just, you know, need to, get something off my chest or if I, you know, just need, uh, you know, some advice, I still give him a call. What are some of the things that as a former player are important to you when you're building on this organization? Yeah, that's, you know, that's a really great question. Uh, and there's so many things like I'm passionate about the game of football. I'm passionate about the Stampeders and I'm passionate about the CFL. Uh, so you can, there's a lot of pieces to it. Um, you know, but one of the things that we've really focused on, um, and there are a few things that stand out, but one of the one of the things that we really tried to focus on this last year, and how we you know reconnect with our fans, how we reconnect with corporate Calgary from uh, the pandemic, is is the community impact that this team has uh, in our community in Calgary. As a player, you know you're at you know you go to a, you know, hundreds of events throughout your career representing the team, and and you get to see firsthand how passionate people are about the Stampeders and how the, this team brings the community together. It has a, you know, makes, makes it a better city, whether it's working with charities, whether it's working with kids, whether it's, you know, helping people raise funds. Like this, this organization really does have a tremendous impact uh, in the community. And then I tell everybody that will listen, you know, the Calgary Stampeders make Calgary a better city. And so that was the one thing that I wanted to, I think, when you talk to people, I think there wouldn't be anybody that would disagree with you with that, but they don't understand truly what we do. Uh, and, you know, we talk about our players, you know, doing 250 appearances in the last year, um, you know, working with over 50 charities. And, and so, you know, when you start to explain to people, you know, just exactly how important it is, um, you know, for them to embrace us uh, just because of what we do in the community, you know, people go, oh, I did, had no idea. Uh, that's pretty awesome. And I and want to make sure that, uh, you know, you guys stick around. So that's a pretty cool part. And I love it. Our players are, they're the best. They get in the community, they are engaging, you know, they, it's, it's, it's really fun to watch them interact with, with our fans, you know, and then, uh, you know, the other piece is talk about having a winning culture, you know, you know, it's under Dickinson and Huffnagel uh, changed a little bit this year, but prior to this year it was 71% of our, of our games were win. Uh -huh. wins uh you know four great cups um yeah we just qualified for the playoffs for the 18th consecutive season which is the longest um the longest playoff streak in north american professional sports 
-hmm. Unbelievable, right? Calgarians love winners, right? And and we are, and that's what we do. You know, this year, we, you know, we can talk about this year, but uh, you know, we're going to get back to that next year. And and so it's that's one piece to it. And then you know, the other part is is what this league, you know, means to this country. Uh, you know, and it's it, it's the fabric of of our society across across the country. And as Randy Ambrosi would say, it's fun, fast, and exciting. And it really mm-hmm. is. Like that Grey Cup game was unbelievable. And, you know, going to so my uh my my in-laws, my wife and, and her parents, they grew up in in uh St. Catharines. Mm-hmm. And, and so they came, you know, being in Hamilton, they came to our the Stamps House uh at the Grey Cup Festival there. And they, you know, they just said, we grew up an hour from here and have never been exposed, you know, to this, to what this is. And they're like, this is the best thing ever. And they had so much fun. And it's great to see that. And and more Canadians need to know that. 100% they do. And, you know, building off of that, you know, fan appreciation, fan engagement stuff. So there's, you know, this side of Ontario, we're the only province with two teams in it, right? Yep. So, you know, there's Edmonton and there's the Alex and the Stampeders. What are some of the strategies that you want to build on to bring more fans to McMahon, not just in the city of Calgary, but when we're looking at rural Alberta and Southern Alberta, because like, you know, Southern Alberta, rural Alberta, there's tons of football. Like Alberta is a passionate province, but especially, you know, Calgary South. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, uh, you know, you know, that's, it's a great question. So it is growing fandom you know, for all CFL franchise, that's, you know, that's the biggest, that's the biggest piece. And, you know, the reality is, it's funny that you mentioned, you know, the two teams, the only, uh, we got Edmonton and Calgary, and we've been hit harder, uh, you know, in the last number of years than every other CFL team. And, and I'll explain that. So when you look at the Calgary Stampeders, we've been losing season ticket holders uh, since 2015. And so no, no uh, coincidence that the price of oil drops, in 2014, companies have to make some tough decisions. And so they, you know, they let people go, they cut entertainment, all those sorts of things. So the companies are letting go of their season tickets. People are losing their jobs. They're losing, they're giving up their season tickets. And we saw a slow decline all the way into uh, 2020. And then the pandemic hit and we didn't have a season and we just, it dropped off completely. And, and then in 2021, it was a short season, the same, you know, it was still a threat of the pandemic. And so there were some challenges. Uh, and so we've, you know, the reality is we've lost 35% of our season ticket holders since 2015. So Edmonton's, they're experiencing some, you know, very similar quite numbers. So when we say we've been hit harder than the rest of the CFL, we really have. And so over that time, you know, people have find different things to do. They replace that time with something else. And so what's something we've been incredibly focused on is how do we, you know, reach the fans that used to come because we want them to come back. And then two, how do we create new fans? And so, you know, we talk, we strategize about how do we start with youth, right? I mean, there's no, I joke around and I say, and, but there was some truth to this that, you know, there's nowhere I should go in Calgary and feel like a young man. Uh, and when I come to McMahon stadium, you know, the reality is we have an older fan base that come to the games. So we need to change that because mm-hmm. We, we missed a generation, and so we have to get the youth involved, make it fun, make it family-friendly, uh, help them to come and have the game. But we also have to bring in, you know, the, to the 20s and 30s and, uh, you know, late teens, and how do we attract them? Because, you know, they, with social media, they consume sports 
very differently than somebody my age does. Uh, um, and, and it's in short pieces and it's in clips and it's in, and so, you know, we have to create a spot and where, where, you know, that demographic wants to come and can enjoy a game the way they want to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, McMahon stadium is challenging. So we, uh, you know, we have, um, we have to think outside the box and how we might create those, those opportunities. And so that's the fundamental piece. And then, and then it goes to, okay, so how do we reach those demographics in Calgary? And how do we do that outside of Calgary? Because you're right. It is, you know, football in Alberta, you know, as in Southern Alberta in particular is, is incredibly big. And you look at, you know, like, you know, the, the success, like a uh, school, you know, like Raymond has had, uh, you know, Cochrane, you know, I mean, they're close mm-hmm. to Calgary, but there's in rural Alberta, there is a lot of great football and there's a lot of big football fans yeah. and how do we get them coming to our games? And so those are things we strategize about day in and day out. Um, you know, whether it's the old fashioned, you know, do we do a mail out, right? Like when do you do that? Um, but it's good for us. I think the biggest thing is creating a connection to our players. Mm-hmm. If we can get our players into, you know, the schools in Calgary, into schools, uh, you know, in the rural areas, you know, so that way somebody can come to the, a child can come to the game and go, I know that guy. Uh, and right. And like I said, our players are so good. They're so approachable and they're so uh, there's, I don't want to say marketable because that's not the right word, but they're just, they make this game. And, uh, and so the more we can uh, get them into the communities uh, and creating those connections, uh, it'll start creating uh, an emotional connection uh, to the team. So it's, yeah, it's true. Like I have one of those stories as well. Like when I was a kid, for me, it was Matt Dunnigan, right? Mm-hmm. I grew up in Winnipeg. So when he played for the Bombers, you know, he came to my school one day and then, you know, the Bombers had one of their uh, fan appreciation things and I met him. And yeah, ever since then, like that grew my football passion. And so something else that the Stampeders are doing to grow that passion is they've got the Stampeders Foundation, right? There's a lot of initiatives that are happening. There's the Development Fund, the Grow the Game Fund, just to name a few. How involved are you in these initiatives and how impactful have they been to grow that game? Like, like we're talking around Calgary, not just in Calgary. Yeah, you're right. So the mandate, so I guess, first of all, I'm on the uh, the board of the foundation uh, on behalf of the team. So I, I'm, I'm involved, uh, you know, sort of at every level, which is, which is awesome. Um, and, and then the mandate is, is to grow and support amateur football in Southern Alberta. Uh, and, and then also health initiatives, children's health initiatives in Southern Alberta as well. So, um, and really it's, it's, you know, it's, it's awesome because we're, you know, we're working with, uh, a, a, a group, uh, in the Northeast Calgary, you know, to, to create a mentorship program as well as a flag football league, uh, you know, to help at-risk youth, you know, predominantly in the Punjabi community, mm-hmm. uh, you know, keep them out of gangs, keep them away from drugs. Um, so you know, we're growing the game. But yep. also, you know, we're having a tremendous impact uh, in that community. So I'm really excited about where that's going to go. Uh, and so we, we get to talk about those programs. Are, you know, we did a learn to learn to play camp uh, you know, partnered up with the Colts, mm-hmm. uh, the Calgary Colts, uh, you know, to put on to introduce the game to kids. You know, and that you know, over three weeks uh, in the summertime, we had over 300 kids uh, in, involved in it. Right. And so I could, you know, one thing I, I'm passionate about this game for a number of reasons. Um, but one of the things, the biggest thing for me is what it teaches you about life. And you think about, you know, um, hard work, teamwork, passion, uh, uh, leadership, 
and uh, perseverance, all those things, right? And you, you learn those through all the ups and downs of a football career. And I've got a lot of, I can talk a lot about the ups and downs. Um, but, you know, when you, when you, whenever your time is done, you take what you learned and you apply those same principles into whatever you decide you want to do and it'll help you be successful. And so to be able to help grow the game and introduce people to football and, and you know, something I, I, you know, uh, something I'm passionate about, something I love is, is uh, pretty exciting. And it's, it's fun to have, a, have a, be a part of that. You're very busy because, you know, you've got your position, you're on the board for the foundation. You're also on the board with the Calgary Colts of the CJFL, right? Which yeah. also kind of comes full circle because of Coach Higgins. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that funny? Um, you know, and it was, it was when, when they asked me to be a part of the, of the board, I didn't even think twice about that because it's, uh, you know, I played a year of junior football, uh, back in London. Um, and so, you know, maybe, you know, not university is not for everybody, but junior football, uh, gives young men the opportunity, you know, to continue having a football career and to continue chasing a dream and to continue to, you know, to learn those things, you know, that, uh, you know, that, that, that the game teaches. And so, you know, every opportunity we can, we can do that. Uh, I want to be a part of it. And, you know, the Calgary Colts have a very rich history uh, and, you know, they've been through some challenging times. And, and if I can be there to help out and, you know, whether it's the Stampeders or the Colts, uh, you know, you just hope at the end of it, you've left it in a better place than you found it. So it's pretty exciting to be a part, a part of. Uh, and I'm going to brag a little bit here uh, because uh, the president of the Colts stopped by my office today to, to give us an, our board won the executive of the year for the Canadian Junior Football League. Oh, so that was that was a pretty awesome uh, surprise. I wasn't expecting that. And, and you know, to be honest with you, you know, there are people who do a lot more work than I do uh, on that board. And they should be really proud because you know, even this year, there was a lot of ups and downs. And they if it wasn't for them, you know, I don't know where, you know, this organization would be. So, you know, a lot of good, they should be very proud of what they've accomplished. Well, congratulations to yourself, the rest of the yeah. board, and the Calgary Colts because they had a much stronger season than they did last season, right? So they're they sure they're, did, yeah. they're moving in the right direction for sure. Um, you mentioned it earlier, Stamps House. It was formerly known as the Red and White Club. So yeah. what what went into that rebranding, and what's the thought process behind it? Sure, you know the Red and White Club. You know, been around for decades. Uh, everybody knew what the Red and White Club was. But the reality is, you know, we had been losing membership, just like we were losing season tickets, we were losing members. And, uh, you know, it was a the business model when things were good, was great. Uh, but things weren't great, weren't good. And so the business model is a little bit broken. And how it, how it worked was you paid $500 for the membership. And every time you showed up for a meal, you paid $50 for the meal. Uh, but it was, you know, we didn't know who would be coming, who wouldn't be coming. And, and so, um, you know, were you preparing meals for 500 people? Were you preparing meals for a thousand? Was it, you know, was it 200? And the reality was we averaged 200 people, uh, you know, for the last five years. Our biggest day was just 275 people. That room holds 800. And it, it really lost any energy uh, in, in it. And so, uh, we decided that we were going to try to make some changes to, to really just, um, inject some energy in, into that. And so, you know, we, we made it an all inclusive, so it didn't matter whether, um, you know, you came, you just, it was all inclusive, you know, and it's over the course of an entire season, 
if you were if you were to have gone to every game the year the prior under the prior structure, this was going to be cheaper for you. Mm-hmm. You know, if you only chose to go to one game, well, it's probably going to be well, not probably it would it would have been more expensive, uh, but it allowed us to staff you know prepare the right amount of food you know and and to make it a profitable business business mm-hmm. again. And then the rebranding of Stamps House from the Red and White Club to Stamps House um, really was a couple of things. Number one, it was to signify that this is changing uh, and to let people know. And and we've worked really hard at Grey Cup to create uh, a pretty special, uh, you know, call it a party. Uh, well, not, not call it, but it is a party at, at Grey <laughs> Cup. And, and people know what Stamps House is at Grey, Grey Cup. And so we wanted people to associate, you know, what this new club, what is going to be. And that's why we rebranded it as Stamps House. And, um, and we, and we put a lot of thought and a lot of strategy into this. And, and, you know, and some of the people who have been longtime red and white club members didn't love the change. And then other, we also, we also got a, a lot of new members and they thought it was fantastic. So we needed to inject some new life, some new energy into it. Uh, and then we also opened it up to all fans after the game. Uh, and that and gave people a destination to go following the game. We had live music there, uh, and it was great to watch. You know, it, it just slowly as the as the season went on, you know, more and more people started to come, uh, and they started staying for longer. Right? It was you know at the, at the start of the season, people would come, and by you know an hour later, it'd be cleared out. Well, we had had to you know after two because it was always two hours. We were staying open for two hours. And ask people to leave. Uh, we, have, we have to make last call, and it was just like closing up a bar. And it was, so it was a lot of fun, and to see people having a great time. And, and we got a lot of uh, a lot of compliments on that piece too, right? Because you know, there's nowhere to go, you know, in the area anymore following a game. Uh, you know, so if you want to wait out traffic, you know, it gives you an opportunity to do that. And if you want to, you know, continue to hang out and have some fun, and we have our players and coaches come uh in after the game and you know so there's an opportunity to interact again this goes back to talking about getting our players Mm -hmm. and making those connections with our fans right so that there's that emotional connection um you know when they decide whether or not they want to you know come to games and so that was what this was all about and you know i i think all in all it was a tremendous success in 2023 and we've already got plans on how we can make it better for next year so it's it's pretty exciting so 2023 wasn't you know, the result we hoped for on the field, but what were some of the highlights for the past season for yourself on the, you know, the business side, on the growth side, on the things that you're, that we've just been talking about. What are some of those highlights from the past year that people that are only looking at wins and losses may not have seen? Totally. Um, You know, a few things stand out to me. Um, You know, number one is it, one of the things that we realize we we need to do is um, we need to connect with new Canadians. Uh, you know, in Calgary, approximately 25% uh, of the population are new Canadians, uh, and that's expected to grow to 50%, you know, in two decades. And so, you know, that's that's a population that doesn't know a lot about football. You know, coming from other parts of the world, don't play football, much football outside of North America. Uh, and you get into Asia and you get into Africa and all those places that don't play it at all. And so, you know, they don't know the game. It's complicated. Uh, if you don't know, it's complicated. It's violent. It's loud. You know, people are. And so they don't necessarily feel welcome. So we realize that we we do need to. Um, <clears throat> it's up to us uh, to make those connections. And so we worked really hard. Uh, you know, we made some connections with, uh, with uh, the Kids Play Foundation in Northeast Calgary. Um, and, and they really helped us, uh, get into that, 
that community, the Punjabi community mm -hmm. uh, in Northeast Calgary and, and make connections that way and, and start introducing the game. Um, anyway, so we, we worked really hard on that and uh, it culminated that one of the highlights is um, we had our first, uh, on, on our heritage game, we did a heritage night market. And prior to the game, we had uh, six different uh, countries rep uh, represented in our heritage night market. So we had Azerbaijan, Sudan, two groups from China, um, um, India, and um, and Ukraine come. And then they set up displays of their culture. And uh, we, you know, we had a Ukrainian dance troupe come and dance. And and it was um, and it was it was awesome. We had. Uh, 200 Ukrainian refugees come and hold the Canadian flag and the stamps flag uh, for the national anthem. Uh, and it was, you know, it was a truly a celebration uh, of what Calgary is, uh, you know, all these different cultures. And because at the end of the day, we want everybody to feel welcome at McMahon Stadium. You know, it doesn't matter what, you know, what your background is. We want everybody to feel, uh, feel welcome. Uh, and we want to be that catalyst that brings Calgary together and makes Calgary a stronger community. And, you know, I think we do so much in the community um, and let a lot of people just don't know. And so it, it was it was so much fun. And, and what's what's come out of that is, you know, as a team, we've talked about how do we make that bigger? Uh, you know, instead of having six, how do we have 26 or 36 or 50? Uh, so, you know, that's our goal for 2024 is to make that as big as we can. Um, and, you know, we talked about, uh, you know, creating a mentorship program for at-risk youth uh, in Northeast Calgary, uh, you know, flag football. And so it's really, you know, starting to, you know, to really take off. And it's up to us to continue that momentum and to continue to build upon it. So it's super exciting. Um, what I think that's one that really stands out. Um, the other, you know, a couple other things that, you know, we decided uh, we needed to do something, again, to try to inject some uh, energy into Labor Day. Uh, and it's, not, I mean, Labor Day is Labor Day, right? You got the Battle of Alberta. It's it's amazing. And so, you know, one thing that was, you know, we came up with two weeks before is, you know, what if we did a blackout? We want to get everybody in the stadium wearing black. The team wears black on Labor Day. So, you know, let's get everybody in the stadium wearing black. Uh, and, you know, so from, you know, our organization, it was, you know, you don't like to do things two weeks before, but everybody, you know, really bought into the idea and we were able to, uh, to make it happen, uh, you know, whether it's through marketing, you know, through our ticket sales group, through our partnerships group, everybody, it was great to watch everybody, you know, let's make this a black. We had a video made up the origin of the black jerseys uh, and, we, and really the organization bought into it uh, and fans did too. Uh, and so it was, it was, although the weather didn't help us out, uh, it was smoky and, you know, there was threat of rain. It was, you know, you know people were wearing coats because it was cooler that day. And so it was, but you know, again, it was, we're started something. Uh, we've already got plans on how do we build on the blackout for Labor Day next year. So yeah, it, exciting. Those are a couple of things. You know, there was a lot of really great things. Stamps House is another highlight from the business perspective that I think that really helped change the game. And one of the things we talk about all the time is, you know, people have come to expect more than just a game. They want something before, you know, they want lots of entertainment during, and then they want something afterwards. And so watch our team uh, really think outside the box and how we can deliver new, you know, new and exciting uh, for all three of those phases has been pretty, pretty amazing. What are some of the challenges you see with the direct, like the correlation between it wasn't a great season on field. So what are some of the challenges that impact what you're doing on your side? Yeah. 
it's you know let's face it it does have an impact uh, and the hard part is you know you can't control from a business perspective you can't control what happens on the field and you can't control the weather and those are two massive factors uh in in you know here's the other piece to it that i don't think i don't know if anybody really thinks too much but i certainly didn't but is we would have been so good for so long and we blew people out you know so people you know didn't necessarily need to come to the game because they knew we were going to win or there was a really high probability that we were going to win uh and so we were so good you know we contended for great cups every year yeah and then all of a sudden you know we have a you know a, a not a great year from mm-hmm. our perspective and you think about it though six and twelve obviously disappointing you know we had 10 games though where that were within you know call it eight points or less uh, so they were close uh we you know we we need to learn to finish those games off um but they were exciting right there was a there was a lot of you know last minute you know, last minute games but it's challenging for sure uh it doesn't it doesn't make the business side of things is challenging to start uh, and then, you know, you add that into it and adds another layer of complexity that, you know, you have to, you have to overcome. And, and, you know, I am very, um, sympathetic, you know, to what the team goes through, you know, having, having been through those, and I've been through some challenging seasons like that, you know, 2002, well, even 2001, although we won the great cup, we were eight and 10, uh, you know, but 2002, 2003, 2004, there were some pretty lean years, uh, and it's not fun. It's hard. You know, in an 18 game season, it it becomes challenging. And so I'm very sympathetic to that. And I understand what the guys are going through. Um, from the business side of things, you know, we have to, in spite of what's happening on the field, you know, we have to, okay, if if that's not the reason people are going to come, we need to give them a reason to come. And so it's kind of fun. You know, you're you're solving a problem and you're brainstorming, okay, what can we do, you know, to, uh, you know, how can we make the world's fastest cow even better, right? Where people <laughs> want to come and come and see. And so in that, from that perspective, it's been fun uh, and challenging, but fun. Uh, so as, you know, the vice president of a team, you see the league and we were just talking about, it's an 18 game season. It's a 21 week season. What are your thoughts on potential growth? We've heard commissioner Ambrosi talk a lot about, you know, another team, another couple teams. What are your thoughts on that? And how would that positively, positively impact a team like the Stampeders and what you're doing on, you know, off the field and bringing more fans in? Cause then we'd be able to spread further across Canada. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it, it remains a, a you know a top priority of the league, uh, you know, to find a 10th team. So practically speaking, it will allow us to shorten the season, right? Which we hear a lot is why do we have to play in November? Um, so if we could go to an actually an 18 game season or everybody gets one bye week. Yeah. But the reality is when you have an odd number of teams, somebody's got to sit out every week. Right. And so that extends it. Um, and so we could we could shorten the season up by two or three weeks, which I think, you know, most fans uh, would be happy. Mm-hmm. Would be happy with not to have to play at the end of November in Winnipeg. Um, <laughs> yeah, but uh, so that part would be good. I think you know just for the parity of the league. I think you know I think that's that's a good thing. And uh, you know you have you know five teams on each. You know we don't have to have a crossover at that point anymore. It just makes it just adds some. Just it would just change some of the small things that you know would would make it a more compelling story. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I love the idea of having coast to coast, right. And you talk about, you know, having a team, 
uh, in the Maritimes. It, it makes so much sense. Um, yeah, I think that would be pretty cool to say, we, you know, we have a league that spans, you know, the entire country. The reality is, though, is, you know, stadium is a big problem. Uh, you know, where, where, what is the plans to build one? You know, how do you find an ownership group that's willing to commit to that? You know, a government, you know, we, we've seen that, you know, you know, in Alberta, how do yep. you get a government that wants to back those things too, right? So it's, it's great to talk about. It's challenging to actually put it together. So yeah. uh, I, I can say that it, it is something that is a high priority for the league, and we're hoping that we're able, we're going to be able to do to do something. Um, but it, you know, it's taken it's taken some time, and it, it might take some time as well. So, are there any plans? I know it's probably not something that you could comment too much on, but you know, you mentioned before that McMahon is challenging. Is there any talks or any discussions about any type of a facelift or rejuvenation to McMahon at all? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, you know, uh, maybe I was naive um, a year ago. You know, we I were you know one of my mandates was let's change how we talk about McMahon Stadium instead of it being you know the oldest. Ter- you know, the most terrible uh, stadium in the CFL, let's talk about it being the Fenway Park uh, mm-hmm. of the CFL, right? With lots of history and tradition, which there are. Um, you know, you can think of all the great cups, the great players that have come and gone through the stadium. And it, um, yeah, it's it's a challenge stadium. When you're in, in the summertime, uh, sitting in that bowl, there's a tough, it's, I challenge you to find a better spot to sit and watch a football game, mm-hmm. you know, having a beer. I understand going on the concourse is not, the best washrooms are challenged uh, when it's cold it's hard to escape the cold uh and so, and so i underestimated the negativity uh <laughs> to, towards the state i understand it uh and hoping we can and we can do something so it's very early uh, we know we need to do something um but again we know what is the cost you know is the if we and i'm just and i'm not even I don't know any of the details, right. uh, but I'm just taking a guess here. But if we were able to invest, let's just say we were able to come up with $50 million and invest it into the, the stadium. But, you know, how good is the concrete? Well, the, you know, will the concrete last 30 years or is it, you know, it's a, does it only have a life of 10 years? And then that $50 million becomes, you know, a sunk cost that you can't get back. So there's a lot of complexity to this one. Um, the reality is, you know, we're going to do what we can to either, you know, get a facelift to McMahon or try to get something new. Uh, mm-hmm. And so that's, we need, we need something new. We you see what's happening in Winnipeg. Um, you know, it's, they, it's more than just a stadium. You know, they, they run a very good business and, and, and they do a very good job, but a stadium really helps. Uh, yep. Same with Saskatchewan. And yep. so if there's an opportunity, um, I'm going to, I will do everything I can uh, to see if we can bring a new stadium. I'd like, that is, I would love to do that before I retire. Yeah, that would be nice. So, I mean, when you're looking at facelift, even something like getting rid of the bleacher seats, because those things get cold in like October, November to sit on. But then you also think about people that have, um, you know, pain issues like fibromyalgia or whatever. They want to come to the game, but those bleacher seats are really uncomfortable to sit in for three hours. Right. Um, 
of course, we all want to see a dome stadium. You know, that would be amazing. But I mean, <laughs> I don't really see that in the cards for Calgary at all, ever. <laughs> yeah, probably not. But nope. <laughs> anyway, I would love one too. <laughs> um, no, but and you make a great point. You know, accessibility. It's not the easiest stadium to access, right? There's mm-hmm. not railings. It's not for people with health access, like with, uh, you know, health challenges or accessibility challenges. It is a challenge uh, and it's a problem. And, you know, we do talk about it. We do strategize how we can do it, but it's, there's also a massive cost to that too. And, you know, when we've lost 35% of our season ticket holders, you know, we've got to be very selective uh, in, in, in managing our business, right? That's, yeah. yeah. So it's, you know, we're, we're 2024, uh, you know, we're poised to grow our season ticket base uh, from last year. So for the first time in a long time, and we're excited about that. If we can continue to, you know, deliver on game presentation, deliver on fan engagement, to deliver on our community piece, you know, that will help grow the game. And then as the economics get better, then it allows us to reinvest. As well. Right. hundred percent. The league has done some other really great steps with um, inclusion and stuff like that in football, the women in football program that was launched by the CFL. How important is that program as well right now to, you know, when you talk about growing the game and growing more people, growing more fans, but also getting more involvement from women in the sport. Mm -hmm. Tremendous. You know, what a, what a huge, um, I don't want to say win for the league, but it was, it just, for all of Canada to be able to, you know, football has predominantly been a male driven sport. Uh, you know, occasionally growing up, you'd hear about a female playing or, you know, be involved in some way, but not very often. Uh, and now it's, it's like, you see women everywhere. We got the Calgary Rage, you know, is tackle football team here in Calgary, which is phenomenal to see. Um, you know, you see referees, coaches, you know, strength coaches, it, it's women are everywhere, which is, which is fantastic. And so that women in football program has been tremendous and help accelerate that. Uh, and you can see it everywhere, every game, you know, you see ladies involved and it's, it's so cool to see it. It's, you know, we want to do that, you know, for all Canadians and let everybody know that, you know, we talk about Calgary being, you know, um, being a place where every, all Calgary, Calgarians can feel safe and want to come to. And I think this league, you know, for the country wants the same thing, you know, whether you're male, female, or you're from a different culture, you know, we want you to be part of it and in whatever capacity that you want to be there. So pretty cool. And, and finally, what are we looking forward to in 2024? Yeah. Well, uh, we're looking forward to, you know, on, on a higher level, uh, number one, improving our record, winning a great cup championship. Uh, and then from the business perspective, you know, having, you know, more people coming to the stadium, uh, but also delivering a better game experience. And, and I, I, you know, having now been back to see all the different stadiums and, and I think everybody does a great job I would think our game experience is, is one of the best, uh, but we've already talked about how can we improve upon that for next year. And, and so, the, so from a high level, you know, we want to deliver on the field, deliver more on the field and deliver more off the field as well. Uh, and so people want to be here and want to come back. And so that part's pretty cool. Um, I'm excited to, you know, for the new Canadian piece, you know, I was on, I was on a, um, the Punjabi national media earlier this week uh, and, you know, and trying to reach out and trying to connect with people who aren't familiar with the game and try to grow, you know, to grow our game that way. Uh, so really excited about, you know, what we could do, you know, from that perspective um, it's, it's 
there are so many cool things happening. Uh, you know, and then the other piece is, you know, last year our mandate was we wanted to, to have 250. In in 2022, our players did 189 charity appearances. Last year we wanted to do 250, you know, which we've uh, which we have achieved, and then we want to you know grow that as well. You know, is it is 300 possible? I hope so, uh, because we want to be in the community and continue to have a positive impact. I've been lucky enough to be a part of the organization the past two seasons. You know, of course, yeah. I'll be it during training camp, but it's been great. Um, but I feel like this past season was, there's a lot more energy. There's a lot more excitement during the game, the game day. I think that you're doing a fantastic job. I think that you've injected something new and something exciting into the team and into the whole experience. And I just think you're doing an amazing job. Well, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. And I have to say though, this really like as a team sport on the field and it's a team sport off the field and, and. I I feel very fortunate that I get to come to work for a great organization, but more importantly, with the great people. Uh, it's I love coming to work every day, and I love everybody I work with, so it's a lot of fun. Mr. McNeil, thank you so much for taking the time to come on tonight and chat about the business side of football, what you're in doing right now, and some of the great things that you've done. Well, thanks for having me. It was I loved the conversation, and I'd come back anytime. That was our conversation with Vice President of Business Operations of the Calgary Stampeders, Jay McNeil. He has done a wonderful job over the last year taking the Stampeder organization off the field and just injecting some new life and new energy. The game day experience is a lot more fun. And just what you hear in the city and around the city with what the Stampeders are doing is just really great to hear. That is it for us this week. We will be moving our episodes from now on to Fridays during the offseason. So during the season, it's going to be Thursdays, but in the offseason, it will be Fridays. So keep an eye out for the new day. You can find us on Instagram, X, and Threads at Around the CFL Podcast. And you can listen to the show on all platforms, Apple, Amazon, Spotify, iHeart, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. And if you're enjoying the show, please keep leaving those five-star reviews. I'm really thankful for all of you who have done this already. Love the energy. Love the love. Keep it coming. We will be back again next week. We are going to take a look at the top 30 free agents coming into this offseason and take a guess on maybe who's going to go, who's going to stay, and who's going to end up where. Hopefully, we might have another surprise special guest along the way. That is it for us this week, and we'll see you later. Mm -hmm.